Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 228 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are you doing, Rob? You know, I would say this last week has had its ups and downs, but for the most part today I'm doing okay. But we had a glass of wine. We, we did. Had a belly full of burrito. I may have had a little bit more wine than I should have, but that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's, I... it's therapy night. I think it was, um... To say the least, I have a I have a dear friend who is who is hundreds of miles away, unfortunately, at a funeral very much tonight. Uh, uh, she lost her uh, father, and I really wish I could be there, but under all the circumstances of everything that's been going on, I can't, unfortunately. But uh, I will be here when she returns uh, to help her decompress and and handle that. But for tonight, I will I raised a glass to to salute her her father and. Uh, her family for the losses, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thoughts go out to her and to to the rest of us who all just need some time with everything. I feel like the last probably thirty days has been really odd for a lot of my friends mm-hmm. and and family, where they've been dealing with odd connections or just a lot of emotion or getting back into the swing of school and the things that follow that. I mean, most of my friends are out of school, but they have kids. Yeah, and those kids yeah. are in school or they're working with universities and there's just a lot going on and it creates a lot of tension. It creates a lot of like disturbance because it's a restart of existence for some people yeah. and getting connected back into things. Uh, it's funny that we have uh, that we get the questions of like, what game would you start at the beginning of a school year? Like, you know, now that things are coming back into swing as if it is like the new year. Right. Like January right. First again. And it does feel like that, like coming back into like the school year sets that bar in motion. It's another disturbance you know versus like spring which happens is like a seasonal thing that we can all feel it always feels like it's a it's like a break like an odd shuffle in the system of like uh we gotta get back into this you know kind of a thing no i'm with you I'm with you. yeah i talked to my friends who uh live around ann arbor and they dread the end of august oh i bet like move in is just chaos and like yeah. you don't want to be in town yeah. if you're part of the university it's pure terror you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you've got the people who've who've who are just starting out at the university who have no idea where anything is yeah maybe they missed orientation too and then there's the parents who never came to orientation who are trying to direct the students who know where things are we're like no no honey it's got to be over here and they're like lost they're just <laughs> lost you know and i'm sure that happens on every campus but like when your campus is the downtown of a city that makes it even more difficult. Yeah, see, and I, we're spoiled living in the Detroit area because all of our major roads are just a big grid system. Yeah. On, on a big one-mile grid. It's well, some of the best city planning I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but, like, Ann Arbor is is a web. It's just a maze. It's a labyrinth. It really is. In, and it used to be places. a lot yeah. worse with one-way streets and crap. And yeah. Like, I've been to a couple of college towns that are relatively well laid out but so many of them are not Mm -hmm. and they're just like the campus is okay but like oh my god like everything else around them and it's not just that ann arbor has u of m like right next to it is eastern like right there oh yeah there's no escape (laughs) that's right like you drive from one and you're immediately into the chaos of the other Mm -hmm. so and then it's not even what like an hour west you're into another one yeah so like we're just dying for schools all bordered around each other in this damn state so but uh yeah so i feel for all of you i uh i hope that everyone can take a moment take a breath 
and just try to reset a little bit as the chaos flows in to remind themselves that Halloween is around the corner and that's kind of okay. Oh no, I avoid that. (laughs) I avoid that. I don't get involved. So, but uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. You, uh, we have no new games that have that hit since the last time we had a show. Yeah, uh, uh, nothing's planned really at the moment. Yeah, I think we gotta we gotta start having a conversation about October mm-hmm. and see where yeah. people are at. Um, yeah. I know we've got a friend coming in from out of town. And, we do. And, uh, uh, I I am actually going out to a show in October, which is like big. It's not not big momentous news for most people, but like I'm a terminal introvert and homebody, so like. Yeah. I paid money to go out somewhere is... You, you made the choice to pay money to go out somewhere. Yeah, we're going to go see Taylor Tomlinson. Which a, I uh, envy you. Hilarious comic. Hilarious. She's I hilarious follow her all the time. Like, I've watched all of her shows, so... Um, no, that's going to be a great show for you, too. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm really, really going to enjoy that one. And, yeah. Uh, but other than that, though, no, no, we're, we're kind of in a kind of in a lull between games right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll get, we'll get back to it in October. And Fair enough. Out, so. Fair enough. Rob... Why don't we uh, mosey up here around the uh, around the old microphone? Why don't y'all out there in listener land gather up around this here campfire and we're like gonna I... tell you a story about a little game named Deadlands. He's like a guitar. Dung, dung, it's a little dung, game named Deadlands dung, by a little old company called Pinnacle Entertainment Group, otherwise known as Peg Inc. See, back in the day, back in 1996, <laughs> I don't know how long I can keep this up. So, so yeah, Deadlands was. We're doing a system spotlight on Deadlands now. Deadlands is old for all intents and purposes. Yeah, now I feel a... bad saying old because '96 was like some of the heart of my start of gaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but like between '96 and '99, we had Deadlands as like this odd custom rule set that was developed for. Was it Deadlands on Rails or uh, I'm trying to remember the, the, the original great, name? The Great Rail Wars. Yes. Um, and it came out, uh, I would say, in a kind of a light way. It really mm-hmm. wasn't a full game deployment as we know it today, mm-hmm. um, which was super common back then. Like, I want to say it, uh, the first deployment that I remember seeing of it was in almost paperback form uh, at a convention. Uh, and, uh, it, this was in the heyday of, like, White Wolf's big deployments, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, we had, Rifts was in full swing, Palladium was doing its craziness, like, it was the heyday of new different games that weren't D&D. Yeah, I, I remember, I remember when it came out, mm-hmm. um, and I remember hearing about it and stuff like that, I, I didn't know much about it other than it was, uh, Weird West, you know, it was, it was, it was spooky, spooky Western mm-hmm. with supernatural stuff in it. Yep, yep. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of games were, were, uh, that were coming out during that time were like, what if real world, but spoopy? Yeah, I mean, you sh- know, uh, White, or Vampire the Masquerade did that. Yeah. You know, they had exactly. laws of the night. Yeah. And, and, and there was even Werewolf, Werewolf Wild West. Yeah. So I yeah. was, I mean, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Deadland sounds great, you know? Yeah. Um, the thing I remember the most about it making a splash at the time, though, is because it inv- it was like, oh, this is a cool this is a cool game, but get this, it uses poker chips and cards in addition to dice, ooh, and fancy. I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting and fun and quirky, manic pixie dream game. Yes, very much so, very much so. And then, like <clears throat> everyone, when uh, the 2000s hit around, the, the D20 version of it came out. Oh, of course. Like, if 
if you were around during that time and you remember anything about going to the mall to the Wizards of the Coast store. It was the original OGL release. That's right. So Everybody there was wanted a gigantic splash of D20 games. That's right. Everything was D20 at that point. Mm-hmm. Roll your D20s for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, it wasn't until 2006 that uh, the Savage Worlds Reloaded Edition came. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was its own proprietary rule set up until this point. Um, and so it, it, Deadlands and Savage Worlds have always been like kind of inex- in, in, inextricably intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, so it uh, Savage Worlds actually started out as uh, the rules for Deadlands Great Rail Wars, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of branched off into its own like little side set of rules where they kind of genericized everything but Mm -hmm. kept like the poker chips became bennies which was a great idea and such like that um the card system is still what they use for initiative Mm -hmm. nowadays you use action cards yep um and whatnot but they kind of like the genesis yeah Yeah. they kind of strayed off from from deadlands and it was in 2006 when they were like you know what let's let's just plug deadlands back into savage worlds yeah because at that point a lot of changes had been made to it because it had been play tested in a lot of other areas it kind of came back around Mm -hmm. it wasn't until a little over 10 years later that they did the 20th anniversary edition and shortly thereafter in 2021 that we ended up with the Weird West revised that was under the Suede, the... Uh, Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. Adventure Edition. Yep. Which is the most recent iteration of the Savage Worlds rules. So yeah. it's all up to date and... Yeah. Got a new... Uh, got, got a good old spit polish. So when it first came out, mm-hmm. um, it was... It actually won a lot of awards and, uh, and, and got a lot of praise for what it was, um, but was basically stated as like a fantasy cyberpunk wrapped in a western garb uh and that uh it only had a basic overview it really didn't have a lot of personality like a lot of games do Mm -hmm. um just simple little blurbs about some geography some politics some cities some places but there wasn't any adventures to it and when they finally rewrapped it in 2021 and threw a bow on it it became a complete game um and that's effectively what we're what we're doing today is what we're we're reviewing today um is that newly polished version of it and i say newly because it's relative well i i do want to mention i mean it's it, yeah sure it's it's definitely and it's probably it's it's best iteration it's it's yeah. most most polished version up to date and everything like that uh, but it, this is not, I mean, we, you bring with it all that history. Oh, completely. Um, and so there is a lot of lore and modules and expansions and stuff like that written for it. Mm-hmm. If you go up on drive through RPG, it's got its whole category to its own oh, God, yeah. up there. So yeah, yeah. It, it um, almost feels like a completely separate game from Savage World. Like this is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't try and include it, you know, and yet. You can see the drippings of everything Savage World within it, and blatant. Well, which which is ironic, actually, because yeah. we're going to start getting into like the dice mechanics and stuff like that, like actually how to play Savage Worlds. It if you're playing the most recent iteration, it requires the Savage Worlds core book. Yeah, you it's an expa- it's mm-hmm. an expansion on Savage Worlds. You which can't is funny, play yeah. it without the core Savage Worlds rules. Um, uh, now, mind you, it does have. Uh, uh, and that that's not to say that this is a small book. It's like 200 pages. Yeah, it's significant. Uh, it's significant. The artwork is good. The layout oh God, is yeah. phenomenal. 
Um, it's very easy to read and such like that. But uh, but yeah, no, it's it's straight up Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. So much that it, so much so that it requires the main book. And I I will say this going into the book, it is a well designed book, mm-hmm. but it so much screams of the feel of where it came from. Like when I opened this PDF and started looking at it, I could feel the genre timing mm-hmm. of like when White Wolf started doing its books, like that feel, there was a certain thing that came out during that time of not only talking from the game's perspective yeah. and including lore in that perspective where like the book is having a discussion with you right, through right, the whole right. book and the art reflects that feeling so that you never really are ever stepping away from the setting the setting is mm-hmm. always engaging you actively yeah it, while you're reading through the book the, the rules will say stuff like you know you and you cannot spend bennies on this I ain't no cheat and fate here partner yeah <laughs> you know, like... and it's it's fun when a book can engage you in that way versus just verbatim reading you rule sets mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or saying when he or she does x you know and then yeah. gives you an example all, everything in this is contextual. It keeps you wrapped within the setting, and I, I love that. I love that in a book. It's contextual, but it never gets so far up its own keister that it um, uh, that it that it becomes unreadable. Right. It's just enough flavor to keep you engaged, but not enough that it ceases to be a clearly readable rulebook. Yeah, it's uh, it's a step away from, I want to say Shadowrun's 2nd edition, where like there was so much jargon in places that you were like, I don't even know what these words mean. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, well, that's just cyberpunk in general. But but that's the thing. Once you get in, in, in uh, embedded into a setting deep enough, mm-hmm. you the jargon just buries you into it. Yeah. Um, yep. And I, I do think that they take, like, one layer off of it. Uh, well, there's not a whole hell of a lot of jargon anyways. I mean, really, we're, we're, just, we're just talking, you know, American Southwest here. Well... For us, we're talking American Southwest English, and English is already a bastardized language. Well, that's true, I suppose. We're talking about non-American people. Correct. You know, calling people partner and knowing exactly what tone of voice that their book is written in. Right. And there's <laughs> phonetics. There's yep. phonetics in this book that are written out, and you're like, yep. what does that even mean? Right. So I would... I would say if you are if English is not your first language, this might be a struggle in some places. There's but there's, not so horrifically. Somebody over in England is like, "My word, what? What is the functional difference between partner and pardoner?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about the rules here. Uh, sure. so this is this is basically just course weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh so uh your attributes and your skills are both referred to as traits. Mhm. Functionally, they're no different right. from one another. Um, all of your traits are measured in a die that goes from D4 to D12. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you are asked to uh, make a check with whatever trait that is, you are going to roll that die against a target number of four. Mm-hmm. Um, any modifiers that are made to the ro- are, are going to be made to the roll, not the target number. Okay, and this is great because the static target number makes it. Is so easy for players to understand when they have failed and when they have succeeded. Um, a lot of times, like we were playing D anD D, you know, you would roll, you'd be like, "Give me a perception check," and I'd roll, and I'd be like, 12? and I wouldn't know if that was good or not, you know, because I wouldn't know what you were asking for the perception check for. I wouldn't know if there were any modifiers on the roll. I wouldn't know if there was what difficulty class you had up in your brain. Mm-hmm. I would just have to hope that twelve was good enough. Right. Savage Worlds, you can roll the die and just look me in the eye and go, "Oh no, <laughs> no, that didn't that didn't happen." And I rolled a three. Yeah. You know, or like, hey, yeah, no, I I rolled a five. Awesome. Yep. 
Exactly. And I didn't tell you you're at minus two for anything, so you yep. know a five wins. Yep. You know? And it's keeping that simplistic so that the players always feel like they're kind of in control. Like they're in control of their situation. destinies. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, now, dice can ace. Okay. Explode, uh, allow for rerolls. Yeah, a lot in a lot of a lot of games we call this exploding dice. Um, if you roll the highest result on a die, hence a six on a d six, an eight on a d eight, um, you roll the die again, you add it to the previous total. So you roll a six on a d six, you've got six. You roll it again, you get a three. You now have a nine on a d six. Yep, this means you can get things like a thirty four on a d four, Erica. Yeah, that uh, does happen. That has happened. That has happened I, I, what, I, more than once. I rolled a 26 the other day on a D8. I think I did. Yeah, something like that. And I, I want to say, I want to say the Matt. Mad Elf rolled yes. uh, rolled something up in the 20s on a D4 as well. Yes, yes, he did. Low low 20s, but 20s. Still 20s a with a D4. Rerolling D4 again and again and again. Yep, and you get lucky enough. Um, yep. Now, in addition to all of that, uh, though... Uh, you have two different kind of tiers of characters in this game. Mm-hmm. You have wild cards and you have extras. Mm-hmm. The player characters are wild cards. They are, quote-unquote, like the main characters of the story. Mm-hmm. You are major villains and larger antagonists. Your, I guess your boss battles and stuff sure. like that will all be versus wild cards. Yeah. Extras are dudes that get described as like henchman number three in the end credits of your game. The bartender. The yeah. bartender. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, whereas wild cards have names, mm-hmm. they have stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the difference between the two of those is, is that, um, uh, you can take four wounds and not just one, which makes combat very quick if you're fighting extras, because mm-hmm. you can just pop, pop, pop one wound each and they go down. There's no grinding through hit points in Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you have something called the wild die. Now, the wild die is an extra D6 that you get that you roll in addition to any other trait check. And you roll it on basically every check that isn't damage, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost no situations other than damage which you which you don't roll the wild die. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what this is is kind of it's it, uh, you, you, either, you take one die or the other. Okay. So you don't add them together. But, like, if you've got a D8 trait in something, you're going to be rolling a D8 and a D6, and whichever one comes up higher, that's the one you go with. The theory being, in Savage Worlds, you either succeed because you are skilled enough to do it, or because you're the main character of the story. Yep, that's what that D6 is. And this whole thing leads to creating a very pulpy, very heroic-feeling story where the heroes are larger than life. Uh, and they succeed a lot more often than they fail. And the villains get away with stuff. And the villains get away with stuff. And, and often, like, even against improbable tasks, you can mm-hmm. do some really amazing stuff. And no, we've definitely seen it. You know, I, I would say this is not a game where you're going to have a very grim, dark feeling of the odds being stacked against you. This is, like, Savage Worlds is typically a style of gameplay where... You feel very in control and very capable in the situation, and when you look a when you look a you know the, the storyteller in the eye and you say I'm going to do something crazy, the storyteller should grin at you and go All right, let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. very much so. Um, all right, so that's just core suede. Mm-hmm. That's just Easy. Savage Worlds out of the book. Yep. Um, yep. There's a lot more rules to it than that. Combat is 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 interesting and and whatnot, but. We already did a system spotlight in Savage Worlds a while so, back. Yep. If you want all the particulars in results of Savage Worlds, we should listen to that. Probably. But the question is then, what is specific then to Deadlands? Well, Sarah. What is said what is what does Deadlands bring to the bring to the table? There we go. 
I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, I will say that I, because it is the West, although weird West, you were still stuck in the, the pigeonhole of that you're human. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're not going so far weird that we're making up new races or anything like that. No. This is ostensibly one step away from our real world West. Yep. yep. Um. So humans, the only thing available, uh, you get a free novice level edge, uh, basically for creating a just just like any humans out of the sure. starter book would. Yep. yep. Um. You start by picking four points of hindrances. Hindrances are basically negative traits. They can be anything like uh bad habits or deformities or um just any number of things if you're just mean if you're arrogant you know mm-hmm. personality traits and whatnot um maybe disadvantages disadvantageous circumstances such as you're poor or something like mm-hmm. that uh you have bad eyesight uh these are all hindrances hindrances come in major and minor you want to pick four points of them minors are worth one majors are worth two you don't have two but for these points, you get to cash them in for other benefits later to kind of balance your character out. Yep. And they're fun to role play. Oh, God, yes. So, yeah. you know, you should. Can can, can confirm. Play, playing a character with no hindrances is just sounds like the most boring thing in the world to me. I think it is something that you grow into. Yeah. I definitely think it's something you grow into. I en- I encourage growing into it. Lean mm-hmm. into it. Give your, char- give your characters some Achilles heels. That's right. Um. All right. You start off with your attributes, you pick, uh, you get five points in them. There are five different attributes. You start off with a D4 in all of them, so there's no zero attribute. Right. Um, and then you can spend two hindrance points to put an additional point into an attribute during mm-hmm. the step. Next, you move on to skills. There yep. are a great number of skills. There's, though Savage World, or though uh, Deadlands does exclude hacking and electronics. For obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. But they replace it. There is a new skill called Trade. Mm-hmm. And that is a specific skill. You have to specify what trade you are. Right. Um, so, like, blacksmithing or yep. whatever. Uh, it's a trade you can apply to earn some money. Yep. You know, it's the skill you have. You get 12 points to spend among these. Every point you spend raises that skill by one die type. Um, it is one point to raise it up to an attribute. Because mm-hmm. they're all linked to an attribute. So, like, mm-hmm. fighting is linked to agility. Uh, you know, languages are linked to smarts, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, one point to raise it up to the attribute, two points to raise it above its attribute. Yep. The reason I really like this is because there's no dump stat right. in Suede. Nothing says that just because I have a low spirit, I can't have a really high persuasion skill. Right. Um, and it's not even like my spirit is doing anything to give a bonus to my persuasion skill. Yep. I just roll persuasion. Yep. Right, so it's not like in D anD D where it's like if you don't have a huge charisma bonus, don't bother talking. Yeah, it's you like know? the the Ballad of Buster Keaton, where he's just this like geeky kind of weird looking dude, and yet he's rather charismatic. Everybody loved him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's super dangerous. Yeah, it's because <laughs> you could hit him with a house, and you know he would he would just stand there and you know take it. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, basically, what happens is that you, you, to raise a thing above your above your skill level it just takes a little more oomph to do it right. or above above your your, your linked attribute mm-hmm. um so you can absolutely build a character that has like a d6 in spirit but like a d10 in persuasion sure it takes a little extra effort to get there but nothing is stopping you from being the big dumb fighter who's actually really charismatic and is the talker of the group right you know yeah like um, amos i think is in expense would be 
would have some interesting skills that went, sit beyond his attributes. Just just the intimidation level mm-hmm. on that man. Yeah. But but not like in the like I'm scary way, but just the I'm an unstoppable force. You might not want to get in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to yeah. be some consequences to that. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like, his spirit may not be that great, but dear God, is that man terrifying. Yes, exactly. So, uh, And again, here you can spend uh, you can spend uh, your hindrance points mm-hmm. to increase your skills as well. It's mm-hmm. one point per, per skill point. Sure. Um, and then you get into edges. Now, edges are kind of like feats in, you know, yeah. uh, there's special abilities, basically. Powers kind yeah. of feel. Yeah. Um, so they're they're the fun little special rules that you get to tack onto the side of your character to make them feel you know interesting. Yeah. Um, you get one free one for being human, as mm-hmm. previously mentioned. Uh, you can spend two hindrance points to purchase an edge. That's your typical thing, I think, during yeah. character creation is one to start with, and then you spend your four hindrance points on two edges. Right. Um, because edges are honestly they're pretty powerful and mm-hmm. they're very interesting too. Oh God, yeah. In a lot of ways. So a lot of people will lean very heavy, I think, into edges. At least they do at my table. It tends to be the thing that helps define the character more than even the skills. Yeah, and, and especially especially in Deadlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is where you get class-like abilities. And I say class-like because there are no classes in Savage Worlds. Right. It is a classless system. But some edges kind of define your character mm-hmm. archetype. So... Archetypes like the Huckster or the or the Chi Master require a specific edge to give them their ability that defines those characteristics. Um, to wit, you can't really play a Huckster unless you take arcane background Huckster. <laughs> so, so you're like you're only a Huckster if your character comes from the Huckster region of France. Otherwise, you're just a sparkling gambler. Truth. Truth. <laughs> Um, yeah, but this is basically the only place you'll hear discussion of any sort of class. Otherwise, this isn't an entirely classless game. But, technically, again, that's just Savage Worlds. All of these things get added as new edges, and there's a bunch of new hindrances. There is that one new skill and stuff of that, but really, again, that's all just Savage Worlds with a slightly different menu to choose from. Yeah, okay. which makes it very easy that if you've already been playing Savage Worlds mm-hmm. in, in some other setting, moving into this for your players is not going to be that challenging. Yeah, we're already this far into the spotlight, and we haven't gotten off of Core Suede yet. Yeah, we're still just talking about the basics. All right, so what does Deadlands actually add to Suede that wasn't there to begin with? So, like Well, a... it. I'm going to straight up say it gets weird. It gets <laughs> it gets weird. Um, so, like we said, there's a, there's some new hindrances, new edges that are all Wild West flavored. Mm-hmm. Um, some directly interact with. They need to be new because they interact directly with like Deadlands specific mechanics, like dueling. Yes, and such like that. Um, and then there, of course, are the new arcane backgrounds for Blessed, Chi Master, Huckster, Mad Scientist, and Shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got gear and goods in here where you have not only a comprehensive list of western gear including all the shooting irons y'all could want out there that's true um both single action and double action with an explanation of which action is which Mm -hmm. um but also a detailed explanation of the weird steampunk tech that gets brought into the setting yeah i'll kind of get into that a little bit later using ghost rock and ghost steel yeah, uh, and the Hellstrom company that uh, that uh, provides it. Yeah, 
It's 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 intriguing. It's yeah. intriguing. There's I would say that uh, without getting too far into it, it definitely has uh there are, Deadlands opened the eyes to other care, other game creators of what Weird West can look like. And as we talk about it, you may think of a few other games that have come out after Deadlands that sound a lot like this. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a handful of new setting rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, dueling. Uh, dueling is one of them. Uh, I really like the dueling rules. So... Dueling, I think, is something that's hard to uh, hard to implement. Agreed. You know, um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Scott the Miniature Maniac. Uh, he's a maniac on yeah. mini, as in miniature, right? Miniac right. on uh, on on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and he's been talking lately on his podcast about uh, wanting to create a miniatures game of his own, mm-hmm. but he wants it to be like one v one dueling. Ooh, and. It gets me thinking a lot about, like, how would you implement that in, in game rules? Right? Yeah, I mean, 7C had rules for fencing, dueling, mm-hmm. which included all kinds of weaponry, mm-hmm. um, and and had some unique approaches to it. But um, those gunslinger duels have a very particular style to them. Very much so. Where you've got the square off. Yep. You know? And you got two two people at high noon out in the street in front of the saloon looking at each other in the eye... Their fingers just twitching over their six irons, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then there's just a moment where one of them just blinks or twitches, and they both they both slap iron. They both both slap leather, and and the shoulder guns, and it's it's over like that. There's just two shots ring out, Mm -hmm. and then one of them just falls over. Mm -hmm. It's the samurai pass. Yeah. It's the it's that quintessential speed moment. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's so many there. Uh, we could talk for an hour about the parallels between samurai drama and westerns. Oh, but we're n- completely. But we're not. We're gonna. not doing that. That's not today. But we're not gonna. But it's there, and you should think about it. Mm-hmm. Um. But Deadlands brings us a great set of rules for this. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's it's three rounds mm-hmm. for a duel. Okay. Once you've decided you're in a duel, you abide by these rules. Right. You can't just be like, ah, we're not in a duel anymore, and then break them. Nope. Okay. So we're in a duel. This is a duel scene. Each duelist gets dealt a whole card, mm-hmm. okay, as in an ace in the hole. Right. Right. You're going to keep that face down. You're going to keep it in front of you. Mm-hmm. You're going to know what it is, but no, nobody else will. Mm-hmm. First two rounds of, com- of, of quote-unquote, combat here, you can do anything except attack. Mm-hmm. This is a great place to get things in, like, tests, mm-hmm. where you will try to psych your opponent out, maybe make them distracted or mm-hmm. vulnerable right if you do it doesn't wear off next turn it it stays through all three rounds right it carries okay. it carries so there's no like oh i have to do this on the second round so he's hit with it in the third mm-hmm. if you do it you do it yep okay raises on these tests normally if you if you test Hits somebody with a raise yeah. um you can either make them distracted or vulnerable which mm-hmm. are which are debuffs basically um but if you get a raise on that roll, which is four higher than you need, right? Um, you would also make them shaken. Mm-hmm. And here, they're not shaken, but you can either take another whole card yourself or make them discard one of theirs. Mm-hmm. And this becomes important because, remember, I said there are new edges that interact with some of these rules. Right. A talented duelist may start the fight with two or three whole cards. Yeah. 
So testing them to make them start discarding them. And they're discarded at random, too. So it's yeah. not like they just throw their lowest one and, you know, right. whatever. Um, So there's there's kind of this, like, moment where you're, again, you're psyching each other out. You're reading each other. You're yeah. trying to get the measure of them, see how they're moved, see how their stance is and such like that. Yeah. And this interacts with not only the debuffs you may or may not place on one another, but the amount of hold cards you end up with at the end of these turns. Yeah, it feels... It, for those of you who've played uh, Tournament Magic the Gathering and stuff like that, where or any of the card games, where you've got a hand of cards in your hand that can be plucked from, mm-hmm. you know, and rules fall, it's that same feel where you're, like, gauging what's in their hand versus what's in front of them and the, the, the terms that are basically on the table between you. And it's, yep. it's an exciting time. Yep. Turn three... Turn three, the guns come out. The reveals. The duelist yeah. will reveal their whole card of choice. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you have more than one, you can choose. It's usually going to be your highest, but there may be some weird fringe reason why you would want to choose a lower one. Mm-hmm. If it interacts with another rule or something sure. like that, or if you're trying to psych your opponent out for some reason, if you got some weird plan, you're not obligated to pick your highest one. Right. You almost always want to, though. Right. All right. That becomes your action card. It's essentially your initiative for the turn. Right. So you want to get as many whole cards as you can. Mm-hmm. You want to hang on to your highest. Mm-hmm. And you want to have more than one when the guns come out. Yeah. Okay. You flip them over. Then you see who goes first. Yep. And that person gets to shoot. Yeah. Um. Now, during this round, you also, uh, you can go on hold and try to interrupt your opponent. Mm-hmm. If you want, you, you're not obligated to shoot right. at that point. Um, if you've got additional hold cards that are higher than your opponents, i.e. like they flip a 5, you flipped a 10 and you've got a 7 behind it, you get an extra d6 damage. Yeah. And keep in mind, that doesn't sound like a lot. But in Savage Worlds, your damage dice can explode. Mm-hmm. They can ace. So an extra D6 means that's an extra die that can potentially ace. And all add up. And all adds up at the end, yes. Yep. Um, and you also cannot soak, which is usually the rule that you use in Savage Worlds. When you take damage, when you take an extreme amount of damage, you can roll your Vigor stat mm-hmm. um, and try to reduce that amount of damage if you spend a Benny, if you're a wild card to do this. Um not being able to soak in this in this one particular round when you know someone is going to be shooting you with a firearm yep is a scary scary thing and it turns very lethal very quick well i mean if you were to even think about that in the terms of like other game systems where mm-hmm. it's like if you're doing a standoff against an enemy mm-hmm. and it's an attack that cannot be like the damage can't be mitigated it's just there. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's a lot. Like, it would change pretty much everything about any other game. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes a very important maneuver to do. Yeah. And I think that is one of the things that this game did exceptionally well over other dueling games, mm-hmm. where the dueling could be mitigated or adjusted uh, in some other way because it wasn't necessarily that important. Whereas in this game, Death is kind of a very important part of it. It really is. And it sits at a special place even in the lore of the game. We'll get yeah. to that. But it sits right there, so. Yeah, the, I mean, the the the, lethal, the base level of lethality in Savage Worlds is it sits at a really interesting place, too, mm-hmm. I think. Um, 
since it doesn't operate off of uh, hit points, it operates off of wounds. Right. Uh, a lot like uh, 7C does. Yes. Um, you've got a very finite amount of damage that anyone can take. Yep. And even a legendary wild card, if they don't have a good vigor or any edges that that that, uh, um, that modify it, yeah, you can just stab them with a butter knife and kill them. That is true. You know, you, you could get a really good hit, and they could go down. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you know, we we play fantasy, but like even the lowliest goblin, if I ace enough times on a hit, I can take out the plate mail wearing warrior. Mm-hmm. You know, easily. Yeah. Um. So after that, then after the guns come out and that that first round of firing, it, all bets are off. Yeah, you can you can run combat like normal. Maybe that's the end of it. Yeah, you know, maybe it was just two regrettable sh- gunshots. One person falls over. Maybe they're both wounded. Maybe it's a double kill. Who knows? Yeah, you know. Yeah, but after that, it just goes into combat is normal, or the scene you know ends or whatever. Right. Um. But I really liked those rules. No, I think it's. I think those are some of the finest dueling rules, and a lot of systems could learn from the the general feel and movement of mm-hmm. those rules and how they integrate. Um, but everything else just feels within combat like setting. Yeah, you've got hangings which yeah. happen. <laughs> hangings happen. Yeah. Stampedes are an environmental thing, and like it, it, I, when I saw stampedes, I'm like, why isn't this in more games? Rules for stampedes, right? Like, like the. Animals exist in other games. Why aren't there stampedes? You know? Who knows? Apparently they don't stampede in D&D. <laughs> Nothing stampedes. Um, all right, then you get your arcane backgrounds, and I think this is another place where uh, Deadlands injects just an absolute ton of flavor. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can definitely tell how it's swayed at its core. Like, yeah. All the mechanics are there. If you squint enough and file off some of it, you're like, it's swayed, but it's flavored swayed. Right, right, right. So now, Savage Worlds is a, is a is a generic system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they use a lot of generic terms that are portable between all the different settings and whatnot, mm-hmm. because there are basically certain game mechanics that are always similar to one another. Yeah. In, no matter which game system you're using. Um. Powers and arcane backgrounds is essentially how Savage Worlds describes things like magic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, powers don't always mean magic. Sometimes they mean superpowers. Sometimes they mean psionics. Sometimes they mean outlandish gadgetry. Yep. But these are special things you can do that do uh, neat tricks. Yeah. And Deadlands does a good job of flavoring these things to match the weird west that it sits within exactly and herein comes your arcane backgrounds Mm -hmm. now an arcane background is basically just an edge that says you have a certain access to a certain type of powers Mm -hmm. okay so your first one is blessed now this is your typical like man of faith Mm -hmm. okay you're like wandering preacher man Mm -hmm. whose faith in god is the only thing that bring that beats back the darkness of the night Mm -hmm. um if any of you were lucky enough to catch Undeadwood by Critical Role mm-hmm. while it was still available, mm-hmm. unfortunately it is no longer available. There was some weirdness with Brian Wayne Foster um, that was unflattering, yeah. and they wanted to dissociate themselves from him. So the story would handle it. So they, they they took that media down because it featured him as storyteller. Yeah. Um, which is disappointing because it was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if any of you saw that, uh, Travis Willingham's character was a blessed character. Um, so basically this, this gives you access to 
uh, holy miracles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't outright say that you have to be Christian. Um, right. I, I think that's probably the indication, but you know, there's nothing stopping you if you've got strong enough faith in whatever you know. Yeah. But it, but it's faith faith in a divine that 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 gives you this power. Mm-hmm. Then you got the huckster. Oof. The huckster is my all time favorite spellcaster ever. Now I'm I'm going to preset this with the idea that yes, the huckster involves the use of cards. They are not gambit. That is not what is being talked about here. Kinda. I'm just I'm putting it out there <laughs> that they're not. They're not really, but they kinda are, but they're not really. Yeah. So the idea behind the huckster was that uh they are working with cards as a means to power. Well, it's not always cards, and that's why they're kind of not Gambit. Well. Hucksters are gamblers. Right. So, way back in the day, in the 1700s. Way back in the day. Late 1700s, there was a man named Hoyle. Yes, that Hoyle. If you look, look at, at yeah. Look at your deck of cards, that Hoyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was actually a very powerful mage. Mm-hmm. Um... He kind of discovered that you could not only access certain powers out there, but that you could essentially gamble with spirits to bid for more power to pour into your to your arcane works. Yeah. Now, he knew he couldn't just publish, you know, Hoyle's Manual of Arcane, you know, Spellcraft, because he would be locked up as a crackpot and probably, you know, killed. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he kind of encoded it. And he put out Hoyle's Book of Games instead. A legitimate actual book. And a legitimate actual book you can go out and buy right now. Yeah. Um, it's been revised. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have to get the 17, nine, uh, 1769 version of it, I believe, because the revisions have like moved around certain pages and references and stuff like that. And it doesn't have the same coding that it did back then. But using like the sample scores as like numerological charts and stuff like that, um, if you knew what you were looking at and you knew how to read the book, it would teach you spellcraft. Mm-hmm. Not to say that any of this is fact in any way. And that is the basis of what a huckster is, is someone who understands Hoyle's card-based or game-based magic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Doc Holliday, yes, that Doc Holliday, took it one step further. He was a, he was a in a sort of disciple of Hoyle's, and mm-hmm. he uh, made up his own little iteration on on uh, on this called hex slinging, otherwise known as trigonometry, <laughs> and that was scribing runes into your shooting iron mm-hmm. and uh, like firing magic bullets yep. with it and whatnot, doing interesting things. Uh, there's also another edge you can take if you've got a huckster, uh, the the arcane background huckster. Um, that allows you to have uh, Wheatley blood. Hmm. And those of you who uh, know your HP Lovecraft will recognize Waitley as Wilbur Waitley mm-hmm. from uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, owner of the Necronomicon. Yes. And uh, uh, offspring, I believe, of Yog sothoth Eh, it's a little gray. Something, yes. something like that, yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of, like, lore built into the Huckster. But what's even better is the rules. Mm-hmm. So they're just like any other spellcaster, right? Mm-hmm. They have a list of powers. They can use their power points to activate those powers and cast spells with them. Yep. Nothing more complicated than that. Except. Except you can spend a Benny mm-hmm. to ante up to a game. 
And in your mind, this only takes a turn in-game, but in your character's head it can take minutes, maybe even hours. You find a spirit, and you engage this spirit in some sort of a game. It doesn't have to be poker, though we are going to be using poker as the mechanic. Mm -hmm. Some play Mahjong, some play Bridge. It doesn't matter. Right. The fact is you are playing a game to gamble with the spirit for more power. Mm -hmm. What you can do basically with this, though, is you can cast spells, anything off of the Huckster spell list, even if you don't have access to that power normally. Or the power points to do it. Or the power points to do it, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so what you do is you make a gambling roll. Mm -hmm. And depending on whether or not you succeed in that gambling roll, um, and how well you succeed. If you get a, uh, if you if you pass, you get one extra card. If you uh, raise, you get two extra cards. If you fail, nothing happens. You just don't get any extra cards. If you botch, you still don't get any extra cards. The th the game continues as normal. But then after everything is resolved, you roll on the backlash table. Right, because you're gonna something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen, but that doesn't stop the game from being played. Yeah. Okay. I, I love the concept of it because it's it's that break from reality for that character. Mm-hmm. You know that doesn't affect anyone else, and kind of just effectively at the table pauses the scene. But in truth, everything's continued on. Yep. Yeah. Now, at this point, you deal out a, a, a poker hand. You give them five cards plus any bonus cards they may have picked up with that gambling roll. Mm -hmm. From that, they make the best poker hand they can. Yep. And there's a chart, and it basically says, okay, here are the power points that you would be, uh, be uh, have available to you. If you've got a really good hand, it can do things like um, cast it with extra modifiers, mm -hmm. sell, do things like double damage or double the effect of, of, of the spell and whatnot. Yep. Um, you can only cast the spell with the power points you win at that game. Yep. You can't fuel it with any of your own. So if it's not enough, you have to pay in a deficit, essentially, mm -hmm. out of uh, it's a difficulty of your roll. Mm -hmm. And then there's an additional difficulty for any rank higher required that, you, that, the, that the spell is. So like if you're trying to cast something that requires veteran, but you're mm -hmm. only novice, mm -hmm. you know, there's a stacking modifier for like reaching so high above your weight class. Yeah. Um, you can, now mind you, if you end up with extra power points, you can reduce that, that, uh, Status, that penalty. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can reduce, reduce the difficulty of the roll, uh, as well, or you can just dump them into your own power point pool. Yep. They're free. Just take them. Yep. <clears throat> and if you get a joker, you get your ante back. Oof. Um, but basically after that, you, you either have a bunch of difficulty mm -hmm. or you have a bunch of, you know, uh, uh modifiers to your roll. You make your spellcasting roll as, as as normal, and you abide by the chart. Yeah, it's it is probably the most complex addition to the system. Yes, definitely. And I I I would say for anybody who is going to run this game, as neat as it is, don't have more than one at the table. Don't have more than one hawkster. Yeah, I I would say read and read the rules two three times. Maybe go through some example things so that you can do it smoothly because it. It definitely is a complex, like it's its own individual thing that you need to break the, put a break in your game mm -hmm. to do. Yep. But man, does it sound fun. It does sound fun. And as much as I would think it's a neat mechanic, uh -huh. I could see it 
totally ruining the groove of a, of certain scenes. And like I could I, I would say y- you can't use it as much as like you know every single time which some players would want to do. Well, you have to spend a penny to do it. You you can't. Well I also had a stack of 8 bennies by the time I was rolling through your game. <clears throat> That's cuz we were flipping a lot of cards and there were a lot of jokers coming out. But what I'm saying is is that if if you did this even three times a game, which three bennies is not hard to gain. That's fair. In a system. You start, you start with three bennies. Right. That's like three, and I'll be conservative here, five to ten minute private moments between a game master and an individual player to get through that thing. I don't know if it would take five or ten minutes, but... I'm squinting at you. Oh, I see you squinting at me. Do you me. know why I'm squinting at you? Because there's certain players at our tables... Because you think I'm full of crap. ...at the yeah. rules in high detail. That's true. And look... and Because that's that's how they play. That's we true. have players who play very mechanically. That's true. And there's nothing wrong with that to do that. But the trick is, like you said, make sure you go over it with that player so that when you get to those moments, you can make it... Five or less. Yeah. Like, that ha- it's quick. Have the Huckster spellcasting chart, like, just printed out on a card. Ready to go. And sitting there ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Because don't, it... don't have your deck too far away. Not that this game would ever let you have a deck too far away. <laughs> yeah. But understand that this section of the rules specifically is really cool, but also could be a huge hindrance and slowdown yep. for everyone else at the table. Yep. So. Uh, and then finally, like, we've got the Chi Master. Mm-hmm. Um, which is basically uh, mystical martial artists. It's mm-hmm. kind of that you know um, Asian martial artist trope of like yeah. It's a it's a mixed power set. Yeah, exactly. it's a generalization. Uh, the mad scientist. Mad which... scientist is really cool because that's just like I said, where you bring a lot of that steampunk sort of style to the yeah. to the thing. Which I think is just it feels to me more like it's a it's a nice wrap of a power. To mm-hmm. give it a fla- to give it a a reason and flavor, no different than like this is my ray gun. Yeah. Okay. You have a ray gun. What's it do? It does damage to people. Okay. Wasn't like Kevin Klein's character in in the movie Wild West? Wasn't he like a a, a mad scientist gadget? Effectively, sort of yes. Yeah. It sits within that same thing. I have a jet pack, you know, kind of a thing. Um, um, knocks in the box says, "I did not expect a chi master in Wild West." Uh, yeah. Actually, I uh, I. Uh, Chinese characters in Wild West are actually pretty common. Yes. Um, because there were a lot of um, Chinese immigrants used to build the railways across to basically connect California with yes. the East. There was there's a lot of history there uh, to be on to be discussed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. needless to say, there were many, many immigrants. Many. Yes. Often not wanting or understanding that they were there for that reason. Yep. So. Uh, and then finally, uh, shamans. Yeah. Uh, which are, fit within the uh, uh, Native American uh, section of, of uh, society within the Deadlands uh, setting. Yeah. Uh, and they predominantly focus on the Sioux Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, as kind of their um, uh, their backbone of where they got a lot of the information and design from. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the Native Americans in this setting actually have like a, a one, one or two independent states, like they're mm-hmm. just them. Yeah. There's a if you're familiar with some of the history that uh, Shadowrun brings in, you'll you'll definitely get some of the same feels 
uh, that were pulled into this game uh, from that same concept of uh, ghost dancers uh, and uh, appropriation of that of those uh, um, stories and uh, histories uh, and lore that exist within uh, within that na those Native American tribes and nations um, and. Uh, I guess this is a good enough point to put it in since we just talked about both of those um, and, and shift a little bit into setting and story. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm going to open up a little bit with the discussions that we traditionally have. Now, yeah, sure. for those who are familiar with history and know the time period of, of the um, 1880s um, up through the, the, the late 1880s or 1890s, know that that time period was not kind to women, was not kind to uh, um, non-Anglo white Saxons, um, and that slavery was predominant. Mm -hmm. um, and this game doesn't hand wave that. They basically flat out say, like, that's not important to this setting. Don't bring it in. Yes, yes. Um, and that's... That's a great start point, in my personal opinion, is is that the way they explain it is basically like, the war sucked for everyone, everyone was needed, and because of that, it changed the face of reality for women, uh, for minorities, for uh, and, and slavery was gone. Yeah, plus, so, plus there's this whole hell on earth aspect that we'll get into in a moment here yes. that kind of makes people go, you know what? We have bigger things to worry about than the color of this man's skin. Yeah. And and I like that. I think that was a great way yeah. for them very quickly to say, uh, that's the ad adoption that we want to take. We're just going to, we're, we're literally just going to walk away from that whole concept because it is unnecessary for the yep. storytelling. Pe that is People were, we're crap in the 1880s. You don't have to be. Correct. Let's move on. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, and I think this was more a product of the time period for where of when this game was created mm -hmm. um, during the the heydays of the uh, just before two thousands um, in the late nineteen nineties uh, when game creators were designing these games there was a a surgence of grabbing of material from all over the world that was interesting historical pieces cultures traditions. That were neat. Um, yeah, we, and... had, we had a, a lot of people who wanted to seem like they were multicultural mm -hmm. and stop telling stories about just white people. But it was white people wanting to be multicultural and didn't do a lot of homework or a lot of sensitivity, you know, work. There was a, a general lack of respect when taking these pieces of, um, of heritage yes. uh, and incorporating them into effectively, and I'll flat out say it, white stories yep um deadlands is a predominantly white story you can you can read it page for page and without much loss feel that mm -hmm. um and that is not to say that this is a game that shouldn't be played it is just to be understood that when it was designed these feelings were in it to the point where they state and i'm, I'm going to read it verbatim um, GMs are encouraged to research other Native American cultures and tailor edges to particular customs and beliefs. Mm -hmm. That isn't a very nice way of saying, like, you should do historical research and are what terms and things that we're using here, here are generic. No, they literally did light research of the Sioux Nation, grabbed a bunch of of reference points basically from history books that were written by white people and said these are neat terms and ideas 
we think we're being respectful when they were expropri- expropriating it from them. Yeah, I mean it, it's don't get me wrong. I don't I don't want to I don't want to dwell too long on this because no. I I don't think it's a huge like it's not a it's not a game it's not a game breaker or anything like that. But no. it, just understand that there are certain things you're going to you're going to probably read in this setting and go, okay, that's a little tropey. Yeah, and I'm going to say it. All of these people are heroes. Mm-hmm. They have not done anything to throw a negative light. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the Sioux Nation aren't like villains or anything like that. Like, and I'll I'll say it. They were careful to use the term Indians in quotes, mm-hmm. and to make sure that you're aware that that is a term that was used for the time period, not for reality. That yes. we are understanding that these are Native Americans. Yeah. That they have uh, independent. You know that they are independent nations, uh, and that. We are trying to get a feeling for the time period and be be respectful as best we can. I think if it was written today, there would be a little bit different feel in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also going to say that it, for the most part, I feel that it's it for what it is. It is good, um, and I'm going to kind of leave it at that. I it the term shaman, the term chi master, I think are hurtful to a degree, but not so much that they harm. The content that these are heroes and that they were, you know, they were trying to do their best to write this and try not to do it in negative light. Mm -hmm. Um, They weren't saying that, you know, that these people were lesser. There is no caste system in this game. Yes. In fact, they go out of their way to say, like, look, none of that, none of that racism crap exists here. Correct. Yeah. Or classes. Now, I'm going to step away from that and say the one thing that I will say about this game, and that is this setting sets fear as a paramount point it was a lot spoopier than i thought it was gonna be yeah i gotta admit i was Um, not ready for the level of spoopy yeah and weird west is an interesting way to explain how the setting generally feels to the populace but the truth of the matter and i really do think that this fits in a lot of western feel is the moment you step away from the traditional wiles and vials of posses and gangs and heists and things like that, the next general step is the unknown of the West. Mm -hmm. And the unknown of the West in this game is known. It is that behind the veils of the darkness that is out there, of this untamed wilderness, is the fact that there are only two things you have, and that is hope and fear. Mm-hmm. People either have hope in their town or they have fear of what's going on around them. And the game is kind of wrapped in that concept um, that there is that fear has a cost uh, and a weight within the world that changes the balance between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And um, through that, you have this monstrous existence of the reckoners and the reckoning that is coming and i think right there should tell you enough about how this is happening and where the the base concept of this comes from is that the reckoning is the end of times but as in hell on earth yeah they're literally attempting to change the face of the earth by making places a hell on earth a fearful horrific space of where the evils of those who have fallen you know and and were evil in their hearts 
and their souls were damned are back mm-hmm. and walking or haunting or infecting the land around them. Yeah. And and that's kind of where the where the name of the game actually comes in is mm-hmm. if a uh if an area of the land if the if the if the people are fearful enough if there's just no hope to go around and things like that um the landscape actually begins to change to reflect mm-hmm. that in this in this reality and yeah. if it gets bad enough you end up with a landscape that is literally hell on earth and yeah. it's called a dead land yeah skulls may be replacing rocks yep you know you'll be you'll be walking along and you'll think you have just crushed a a bit of uh, clay under your foot and you look down and it's bone mm-hmm. you know the uh the the shadows are long and stare at you with you know unearthly eyes and the sun never quite lights things up and yeah. it's it's awful there's um, a certain level of madness to people as well you yeah. don't know whether they're they're in it for the greed or in it for the the purity of of of, of murder and 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 mayhem you know and you can see that in some of the, the the some of the Western stories where you'd have a hero come into town and kind of madness wraps around them with a few good people trying to eke out their lives. Mm-hmm. That is the feeling that they're going for here. But then wrapping that whole thing in this almost demonic blanket. Yeah, that has yeah. happened. The, the reasoning for it. And and what I really like about this particular setting, um, how they're the, the the setting is wrapped up in an interplay, like a war between hope and fear, mm-hmm. um, is that you know one of the big questions when you're creating a setting is what do your players do in it? Yeah, and you started off with that quote from 1996 where the player was like, "It's," or where the, where the guy was like, "Yeah, it's it's a neat idea, but like, what do you do with it?" Mm-hmm. You know, and I think. Especially this most recent iteration of of Deadlands really uh, really explains that for you, mm-hmm. and that is your characters bring hope, mm-hmm. whether they're heroes or anti heroes or lovable scoundrels or whatever. What you are doing, whether by choice or by circumstance, is beating back the things that go bump in the night, and making the people that you interact with realize that maybe not everything is terrible, mm-hmm. and maybe we shouldn't give up. Yeah. And it's and then you 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 tie that to the the traditional stories that we all know from westerns, mm-hmm. you know, and it fits. Yeah. It fits so well because at the end of those stories, it's about hope. It's about you know taking off your hat and putting it on the little kid and giving him a little scruff. Yeah, and then you know riding off into the sunset because that story gives them hope that there are others and that they can be like them. Exactly. That they can bring hope to their area. And, you know, you've got bad Bart, the bandit who's yeah. coming to town to terrorize the, the you know, the, the, the <laughs> people. But like, <clears throat> maybe this time around, bad Bart, the bandit isn't just a mean dude. Maybe he's a harrowed. Maybe he's, maybe he's yeah. come back from the dead yeah. and he's, he's gonna, you know, and hell's coming with him. Yeah. Or like something's happening to the cattle. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what is it? El There's... Chupacabra. Yeah, some some <laughs> demon is out there drinking the blood of the goats. That's not just an old wives' tale. No, literally, there is an old demon out there. <laughs> yeah, like, but the thing is, the people don't know it. Yeah. They are extras. They're just there to be the setting. You know, you might have one or two people in town who are, A, either working with 
or maybe interested in seeing that chupacabra, you know, continue to terrorize the town. Oh, sure. Because it well, gives them a leg up. It's eating, you know, Billy Bob's goats. And That's right. I'm trying to move in on his land. And if he ain't got no goats, he ain't got no land. That's right. And maybe I can just scoop it out nice and cheap from underneath it when he has to leave town. Well, of course, you know, if you let that monster go, it's just, it's not going to just focus on that land. It's nope. going to. It's going to keep right on going. Exactly. So there's that, there's this concept that sits within that of these reckoners their servitors who are doing this work um which are basically de- basically arc demons yeah like right? so they sit at a at a glass ceiling unlike D D has where it's like oh i'm level 20 i'm gonna go punch god because he has stats these characters don't have stats yeah. they don't sit at the at the uh uh at the level of a player they're, they're above conceptual it. right you, <laughs> yeah you may hurt them you may ruin their physical form but in the end tomorrow they will be back as another soul well, I don't think the Reckoners can even take physical form. I think they're stuck in the hunting grounds, and that's why they're trying to create Deadlands. Well, because... I mean, the Servitors are the ones who will return regardless. That's true, yes. They're reborn again and again like freaking Angelus. Servitors you know? are the, like their lieutenants, and then you've got Manitos, which is an old Algonquin word? Sounds correct. Algonquin, I, I want to say, for spirit. Right. Uh, there's uh, Up by Traverse City, there's South and North Manitou Island. Yes, yes. Um... So that's where I know that word from uh, here in Michigan. But um, um, yes, but then a lot a lot of the things you're going to be dealing with are called manitous, which are basically evil spirits. Yeah, uh, like when, like when... a gunslinger who murdered a bunch of people ends up damned. Like he makes the deal with the damned to come back. Yep, and his evilness returns. Uh, now he may return as the voice and like second mind in the uh, in another evil person mm-hmm. who may have gotten shot but didn't die well or... they, they died right but now they're still back right the undead the harrowed that's right and so now you've got like this effectively undead that is being ridden by a demonically un, you know evil soul mm-hmm you know, doing even worse things. They need to drink copious amounts of alcohol to keep themselves pickled so they don't smell like rotting corpses. Oh, it's terrible. It, there's, it's such cool, there's such cool flavor in there for it. But then you also have just, like, walking nightmares that exist. Yeah. You know, where, like, yeah, the servitors might just make some, I don't know, werewolves. That's the last part of character creation is, like, what's your darkest fear? No particular reason, we're just asking. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> But the the whole thing of it is that you have this giant kind of demonic flavor that's sitting around the reason mm-hmm. of why the dark is so dark. Yeah. And yep. and why that fear is always just around the corner, you know? That the reckoning is 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 a balance between whether or not we can keep the darkness at bay mm-hmm. with as much light as we can shine. It is always going to be a fight and that fight happens across for a lot of different people for a lot of different ways. Yep. Um, there are some MIB elements that are kind of thrown in with they, the government. They and... even have the flashy, the, the agents, they, they even do. have the flashy thing. They do have a flashy they thing. They even have the flashy thing. I love where it. You can, where you can get people to forget like, uh, Absolutely the last, uh, love it. Uh, a few hours or something. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a, there's a tabloid mm-hmm. called the, oh, is it the tombstone epitaph? Yes. Yes. Uh, the tombstone epitaph. It's it's, it's basically, it's like the national Enquirer that tells tale of all the dark things that go bump in the night and of course you know nobody believes that trash you know tell stories about demons and chupacabras and people coming back from the dead a bunch of tall tales Mm -hmm. of course the agents 
uh, read like it read it religiously, and they're like, they're like, oh god, we've got to rein these guys in. They can't let people know that this stuff is actually going on. There would be pandemonium. <laughs> yeah, but you've got you've got all of the problem tropes that exist within uh within the West. You have mm-hmm. you're you're riding on horses. You might be able to get on a train, but it's still going to take you time to get to a place. Mm-hmm. And all of the problem it only goes on the track, right? So your your destinations are dependent on where you're headed you know, of where the train's going and then how you're going to get to the next place. You're hoofing it on foot at times. Well, right. But but keep in mind, though, there's this steampunk aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they make mention in, in uh, like, the, the, the gear uh, the gear and goods uh, section that, like, you can actually have stuff special delivered to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you pay through the nose for it, and you will pay through the nose for it, you can have a straight-up ray gun airdropped to you from a gyrocopter. Mm-hmm. If you're within 50 miles of the nearest city. Right. Because that level of tech exists. It's just such a luxury. You know, yeah. It's not commonplace. Yeah. But if you can pay, yeah. they'll it's, do it. It's effectively like the Wells Fargo catalog. Yeah. But yeah. like done at a different level. Like there are robots that exist because of that company. Yeah. Yeah. Like that are defenders. It's all because of the, the ghost rock and the ghost steel, which is basically this, like, coal that's, like, rumored to be this, the, the, the crystallized form of damned souls. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, it actually is. Yeah. Um, and it's It is super, exactly what, what they think it, it is. It is super dangerous. It's super dangerous. It burns like thermite. Yeah. And you have to put it out by smothering it. You can't put water on it because it flash boils. It's, it's like a road explodes. flare in your hand. Yeah. Um, um, but it can be used as long as you use ghost steel, which is basically steel made by forging it with ghost rock. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make like some really cool steam boilers that do amazing things. And mm-hmm. thusly from that, a bunch of high tech stuff is born, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's neat. Um, and sitting behind all of this within the book as you're reading through it is that you're effectively getting this from a character. Mm-hmm. There's a character that floats in the book reading to you these things who is the coot. Mm-hmm. He's this old coot who learned everything, who knows all that's going to going on because he's been embedded in it. He uh, um, Something happened to him and it pulled him into the future, like I want to say 2049 or well, something he, like that. He made a deal, like he saw what was happening with the Reckoning, made mm-hmm. a deal with them and basically said, I'll join the army. I'll, I'll join the army of the, the damned. Let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then in that was like, oh, well, there's this like tincture that I can make now that I've learned how to do this stuff that'll show me more. Let me, let me see where we're going with this. Basically drank it, ended up in the future, saw at the end of the reckoning what things were going to look like, came back and was just like, nope, 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 nope. nope, nope. <laughs> People need to, we need to fix this. Yep. I am on that side now. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's called you the marshal and it's, Interesting, if you read the book thoroughly enough, you get the feeling that as the marshal, the storyteller, Mm -hmm. you might actually be harrowed, and he's kind of helped fix you. Because he even says in it, like, oh, you're awake. Yeah, that thing I poured down your throat has kept you from choking me out again (laughs) and and telling me the terrible things you said. Let's hope it sticks this time. And you're like, oh, I'm a bad guy. (laughs) 
I love that the role playing book itself, in its own, in the reading of its own rules and lore, has a meta narrative. It does. It really <laughs> does. And I think that's I think that's wonderful yeah. because it it draws back to some of the early Shadowrun, the White Wolf stuff. Whereas yeah, you read yeah. through that, it all fits within that same kind of framework. Shadowrun was great because it was all like a chat room log. Yeah, you'd see like different characters talking about the things that you were reading about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the game goes then into uh, the book. Then goes into talking about how to manage things, and one of the things that it outright manages is managing power hungry characters, mm-hmm. because you could easily get that. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that the world is about is effectively trying to be damned, and people going ahead and taking power and greed and the things that are vices, it makes sense that you'd look at a power hungry character and go. Okay, you've gotten a big, big for your britches. Grab a card. What? Grab a card. Okay, that card says this about you. Now you're hunted. Mm-hmm. By whom? You're not sure. Mm-hmm. We'll find out soon. But you've got a lot. And you know. And some people don't have a lot, and they yeah. want yours. Yeah. And you know it. Yep. Like, this isn't hidden to you. You know it. <laughs> you can feel it on the back of your neck when someone looks at you as you walk into a, a saloon. You know? And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a little spoopy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it adds to that fear. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Um, after giving you all of this, mm-hmm. there's a full adventure generator that sits on top of this that, that uses the cards. Again, they're, keep that cards. Yep. You're never going to lose them. Um, but it teaches you the basic framework of an adventure, that there is an objective, an obstacle, and a complication, mm-hmm. which we've gone over multiple times. Oh, yeah, sure. But it's nice to see it spelled out in, <clears throat> in black and white. I, there are very few resources that will explicitly teach you how to put together an adventure mm-hmm. with, like, ob- obstacle, objective, complication. Yep. And and then give you the resources to create that out of their own game world and go, like, look, either here's some ideas or just flip randomly because there's yeah. you know, random numbers assigned to these. You know? Yeah. And uh, they flat out say because of what it is, it's like this game isn't scaled. Life isn't scaled in the West. We're teaching we're, – we're telling you that this is what the encounter is and it's up to your players to recognize it's time to go. Yep. Like this isn't something you can just – handle yep yep so don't don't throw resources at it because that could mean your death and you should understand that mm-hmm. um that that is one thing i i, I it, it took me so long to wrap my brain around but i appreciate so much about savage worlds just in general mm-hmm. when i first switched my D fifth edition game over to savage worlds i was like well how do you balance encounters you don't and the answer the answer is indubitably don't even try you you can't you don't and you shouldn't no you shouldn't. Yep. Um, so to talk a little bit about what they give you for the world setting. Now, I, I said in the beginning that the original take was that there really wasn't a lot in there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say there's a ton. There's, there's a... 36 pages of history, lore, and location setting. It is a 200-page book. Only some of that is rules, and only the rule the, the rules that are in there aren't even the core suede rules. They're just the little things that... Deadlands has added to make the setting. Right. There's there's basically a hundred pages of setting and lore. Yeah. And it is done in such a way that like a city will basically be two to three small paragraphs explaining in a very quick brushstroke what this city's about. Mm-hmm. 
it's not going to tell you 10 NPCs in it and everything else. It'll tell you that it's a mining town ran by this evil man bent for greed because he's trying to outdo this other person's name. There's no references to those people. That's a writing prompt is what that's that all is. that is. Yeah, that's great. And it's and it basically is giving you the same kind of feeling that it previously did with the adventures mm-hmm. where it's just giving you a general feel for the entirety of the space. Something you could comfortably read to another player who asks like, hey, what's going on out in this area? Oh, well, that's so and so. He's running this kind of a town there. Okay, that that's it. That's what you know. Yeah. When you get there, things happen. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, but the important part is then it then equips you with the tools to flush those things out. Correct. Yes. And then it goes for 49 pages talking about NPCs and monsters. Uh-huh. And it is nice. It comes with its own quote-unquote bestiary, you know? And like... again, the bestiary is not like, oh, this is how you scale them. It's like, no, this is a chupacabra. It's dangerous. Here's why it's dangerous. Here's how you play it dangerous. Right. And that's, it's great. It is fantastic. They got the little, the little Marshall star next to them to mm-hmm. denote which of those monsters and characters are wild cards. Yep. Yep. So you know immediately how dangerous they really uh-huh. are. Huh? There's tons of colorful pictures, wonderful descriptions, a lot of flavor inspiration. And in that alone, just flipping through the book, not unlike Morkburg, uh, Berg and and how it evokes what it is by its pages. This does the same, and it is so telling of the time when it was written. Mm-hmm. Even though it's been revised, it still feels like a book from the late nineties mm-hmm. because it's it's the style that was done for games during that time period, and you can tell it. You can read it page for page. There's not a lot of soft space. Mm-hmm. Everything is used. Everything is flavor. Everything is baked into the setting. You never leave it. It is metal. Yeah. From from end to end, the metal of this game is baked into that book. It is metal, and that metal is ghost steel. Yeah. It is cowboys and zombies. Uh-huh. That is it. Deadlands, straight up, is everything you would expect it to be with those words involved. Yeah. And it does it exceptionally well. It is... It is not to say that you cannot tell other stories in it. Just like we always say, the the story is only as wide as the character's vision. And they explicitly say it. Um, It took you reading it to me to remind myself to go back and put it into the show here. And that is to say, the Weird West has years of history and extensive mythology that explains its supernatural events. But don't let that overwhelm you. The game doesn't need to include any of it. You can play Deadlands as a straight western, focusing on cowboys and zombies, mysteries and gunfights, or good old monster hunting on the high plains. Make it your own game, Marshall. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just evoking that same rule of, hey, we've given you everything. Choose what you want to use out of this. Don't don't stick to any of it, but keep the feel. Yeah. And and I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. So I mean. It... I think, you know, when when I first started reading it, too, I was like, oh, this is a very spooky game with some very dark themes in it. Mm-hmm. But, like, you read that thought, and it's like, you know, no, no, you don't have to include any of that. Make it your own game. Like, you don't have to lean into the whole end of the world, 
you know, walking on skulls, you know, mm-hmm. blood for the blood god sort of stuff. Right. You can literally just be like, hey, you're all cowboys. Let's shoot some yeah. zombies. This isn't John Constantine of the West. Right. It does not have to be. It that. doesn't have to be, but it can oh, be. Oh, it totally can be. Yeah. It totally can be. Yeah. Um, There was a, a section in it where they were talking about ingesting the metals of of the ghost metals like some people will will oh, do that it's not it's not the metal it's it, uh, the, it's ground up um uh, it's a ghost rock powder yes um the mad scientist will sometimes become addicted to it because it's like it's basically radioactive like i said radioactive on a physical and spiritual level yes yes <laughs> it's it is evil not in the way that the devil is evil but evil in the way that uranium is evil and, you know and just that little bit could be a whole story into itself. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I think it's great. And there are there are great. people who become addicted to, and will sprinkle it on their food and everything like that Ugh. to ingest its powers. It's oh, it's awful. Mm-hmm. All right, what does Deadlands do well? I'm gonna say one of the best things that I love about this book uh, and why I feel that it draws you into the setting is that it talks to you, the player, the marshal. And it feels like Sam Elliott's having a I know, conversation I know. with you. And I, I love that. I love that. I, I read every bit of this book in Sam Elliott's voice. You know, like... <laughs> we can't do it justice because Sam Elliott has a voice. But seriously, there are sections of this book that I could clearly hear him talking. Yeah, yeah. You know, that like six cig- cigarettes and a, and a half a glass of coffee, mm-hmm. black coffee, ch- talking to you in the morning kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, and and I love it. I absolutely love it. It just drips with, it drips with flavor, but it doesn't ever get so thick that you don't understand what's going on. Exactly. It, you can, if you're familiar with the Wild West mm-hmm. and all of its great tropes, you will be familiar with this because everything is just one degree in more. Yep. You yep. know, it is gambling magically. It is bandits who are zombies. It it's, is gunslinging with magical rune encrusted guns. Yeah. It's, you know? you know, it's monsters that are real. Yeah. You know, yep. um, it's faith at its finest. It's hope. Yeah. And fear. Yeah. Um, it's Savage Worlds without a doubt. Like, simple as that. If you've played Savage Worlds, you will play this. Fast, fun, furious. Yep. yep. Um, yes, it's... I would say to a degree the game almost feels more dangerous than core Savage Worlds, but I kind of feel that that's the West. It's it's embodying the West, the, the quick draw. The quick yeah. drop, you know? Yeah. You know, where the West was dangerous, without a doubt. There are 10,000 ways to die in the West. Well, too, you've got, <laughs> you've got to remember that your experience with Savage Worlds is my game. Right. And we are playing with the Heroes Never Die special rules, specifically because we've all decided we want a lighter game that's focused more on telling heroic stories than we are about facing death. Yes, that is true. This is... I would say this game probably would lose a lot if you played with Heroes Never Die. Without a doubt, because death is an important part of this game. Yes. Without a doubt. Yes. Like, it it is a core component. Mm-hmm. Because death brings about undeath. Yeah. Death and... death is a finality. And with without... Death is death is a finality and death is a tragedy. And without finality and tragedy, you can't lose hope. Right. And right. also, like, where the, it begs to ask the question, there's a lot of people here talking about the damned, mm-hmm. the evil damned who go to the the battlegrounds. Well, the hunting grounds, the hunting grounds. Yeah. What happens to the good people? 
That's not discussed. That's not really discussed, yeah. So the question is, is is it just grades of bad? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's the question to be asked yeah. in the story, and I, and I love that. Um, and there's a lot of world building. Yeah. I think they there's do a, a wonderful of job of leaving giant blank holes for you to fill, but at the same time giving you so much spice and flavor and reminding you that you are you are involved in this... Um, I guess uh, a pan-flavored dish, but is undeniably West. Like, you know, we we, we talk about all the flavors of uh, the different types of Mexican. There's Tex-Mex, there's Amerimex, you know, there's classic Mexican food. This is classic Western, right? But with all of these other flavors stacked on top of it, and they just give you with these flavor packets. Like you, you go to the store and you you look and you're like, oh, I can get this Chipotle flavored, you know, packet Wild West packet, right? And effectively, that's what this game is giving you is a series of flavors to throw on top of your story, and it's easy. It makes it like making a quick meal. And I, I, I think that's great about it. Mm-hmm. The world mm-hmm. building is not so bold as to say this is how it has to go. Yeah. Yeah. And and that right there is enough to sell it as, as something that a storyteller could step into and go, yeah, yeah, and get excited. Yeah. Without being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So what do we what do we not do well here? I'm going to straight up say it that the that the things that uh, that um, I will preface the whole thing by saying I had a hard time finding something I didn't like. Yes. But when I did find it, I was like, oh, that is the cringe moment. And that is the way that it depicts um, the minorities of the time. Mm-hmm. It kind of... It, it's... it bears a lot of that 1990s racial insensitivity of there's mystical shaman and, and yeah. uh, you know, m- magical Chinese punch masters. Because they just didn't want to address it yeah and they didn't feel they needed to it's always been there and they're fun tropes so let's put them in yeah without without really kind of considering like maybe maybe those are products of their time and maybe we can yeah maybe the executive production teams that were involved in making westerns were a bit insensitive we're going to be a little more sensitive by using some of the terms Mm -hmm. that are more appropriate like we're going to talk about nations a little bit more than we're going to talk about you know and 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 maybe we shouldn't be using their words. Maybe we should come up with something else. But we're trying to do something historical without doing history. And yeah. I think that to a degree is disingenuous without going into the details of the problem of why those people are fighting as heroes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it does. A di- I, I think when you look at something like um, Blood in the Banquet Hall you you're immediately handed the truth mm-hmm. right at the beginning of this is what the story explains and why and i think deadlands could could be better for helping people understand like you said like why there were chinese in the west yeah yeah why is why are women gunslingers important mhm in stories and and why do they should they feel heroic as heroic as anyone else easy answer sharon stone was hot and quick in the dead yes i i will agree with that statement and bad girls was an amazing movie done and dusted um but the point of the matter is is that it's not explained Mm -hmm. it's hand waved away of like yeah there was racism and bigotry and classism 
uh, during that time. If you really want to read about that, go and grab a history book. But we're not going to discuss that here. It's not important. Right, right, right. Yeah, like r- r- racism. Racism isn't part of our game, and you shouldn't include it. Now, go play your go play your stereotypical uh, Indian shaman. Yeah, exactly. You know? It, exactly. Yeah. A, there's there's a little tonal disparity there, and again, I don't want to harp on it because I don't I don't think this is a ten of ten game killer. Not not uh, least. Not I, least. I think it's a three of ten where you kind of roll your eyes at it and you go, maybe we could have done this better. Maybe we could have worded things better. Maybe I don't lean into those tropes so much at my table. Maybe no. I make better decisions. Yeah, and um. And they don't do a negative disparagement to it. Yeah, and that's, yes. I really want to yes. say that, is that it's these not... These are heroes. Yeah, they've never once in yes. this book said that these people are lesser. They've never once said that these people are anything other than a hero. But a positive stereotype is still a stereotype, and we're still leaning on, on those. Right, so. and so it's this is this is less of a what does this do wrong, and more of like what could be done in the future. Yeah. You know, they come out with a 30th edition... Maybe maybe put a little bit more in there. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll lean into some of the people and ask them what would be a good way to represent this. Right, right. And I think I think that would make a huge difference. Yep. I think it would really be fantastic. So All I right. mean, even if because they, I will say in closing, I'll say this about that, and that is that they did discuss slavery mm-hmm. and how it was abolished and why that was so important and the death that occurred, deaths that occurred. With the slaves and the fights for civil rights uh, during the Civil War. And it was only a few paragraphs that they discussed that and the impact that that had. I think that was well done. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they kind of just glossed over everything else. (laughs) Yeah. And that... That's where there was a slide to it. Yeah, yeah. So I get you. that's I get it. You. That was all that I that I really want to say there. So, anything else you want to throw at this one? No. Other than the fact that you want to run this game, I, I either want to run it or I want to play it. Like this is this is one of those games that like instantly jumped jumped to the top of my list because it was just so much flavor, and I already love Savage World so much, and mm-hmm. seeing it used in such a great way for such a great setting that I could just taste on every page. Mm-hmm. I may have licked the book. <laughs> I did not lick the book. I about downloaded in PDF. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, instantly had me thinking of a character I'd want to play, instantly had me thinking of different plot lines I would run if I were the marshal. Yep. Um, you got excited. Yeah, I got, I got excited about I got about excited about it. I, I got it excited great. about this game, yeah. yeah. I would, and, I, like, I, I straight up am considering, like, you know, I, I've talked before about how I wanted to run Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society after my Savage, after my, uh, my Tamriel's game's done. I might run Deadlands instead, I don't know. I'll run a couple sessions. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Try not to run a uh, three-act super campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we, that's our agreement <laughs> that's for our next games. No, no more super campaigns. No gotcha. more super campaigns. Gotcha. We're, we're going we're to run small. We're, we're coming up on Act 3. We're coming up on Act 3 on mine. Sure. It's not going to go 15 years. It might only go three more years. <laughs> I know where you're at. I can't... I'm not going to say anything negative. <laughs> Act 2 is an interlude. It Act 3 is going to be big. I'm not going to lie. But... How many years, sir? <laughs> it is the home stretch. It might only be three years. Okay. Fair All right. Enough. Fair enough. So next week's topic, uh, we're 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 going deep. We're going. <laughs> yeah, this is like phil- philosophy three hundred four. Uh, we are talking about the overt Christian and patriarchal influence in divinity representation in TTRPGs. Yeah. I.e., when you see a pantheon of gods, why does it act like that? Yeah. And why is it portrayed like that? And why is it viewed through such a Judeo-Christian lens? I know Judeo-Christian is a bad term for it. I'm sorry for using that. Through a, a lens of, like, Christianity-dominated, yeah. like, 
good and evil angels and demons, but it's polytheistic. It's not yeah. polytheistic in practice, you know? Yeah, and we're, we're going to examine some other systems while we're going into this a little bit, but mostly just talking about how it's such a common commonplace it really is yeah like once once you start filing the the serial numbers off of stuff you realize everything kind of feels the same mm-hmm. and you're like uh-oh like who, who, who's been writing this stuff but so. I'm, I'm sure it'll turn into a treatise on on how you know when you're creating your own setting how you can make a decent pantheon and a decent uh system of worship for the gods that you put into your game and exactly. stuff like that so yeah so Anyhow, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And join us on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, throw some questions at us. Please. We'd love to answer them on the air. Uh, shoot some some questions to the other great storytellers that uh, that dwell there and get some advice on running your campaign and whatnot. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every single month, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulu. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram at arcaneanthems. Our intro music you heard was Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google uh, YouTube Music, I should say. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our families, who, or friends who've sat us at our tables over these years to give these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our posse, we love every single one of y'all love y'all good Good night. night